evening and welcome to Monergy Life. Ed, are you on the line? Yes, I am, Robert. Hello, how are Uh, you? Well, welcome to Monergy Life. How are you this evening? I'm fantastic, thank you very much. I'm very well. That that is awesome. Uh, I didn't have much of a chance to introduce you, um, but let me just tell the audience that's listening that we have a very special artist on the line. Uh, as our guest, and uh, that will become clear as the uh, as the show continues. Ed, give us a little bit of background as to where you where you hail from and what got you into the artistic realm. Sure, Rob. Yeah, I, I was born and raised in Cork City in Southern Ireland. Um, come from a working class background in the city. There, um, your uh, listeners might know historically that the Titanic set sail from Cove in County Cork, which is a, a more coastal area in Cork. That's a bit of history that some of your listeners might be aware of. And I got interested in, in the arts um, in my late teens, early 20s. Thankfully, I wasn't a child actor um, because, to be honest with you, if I was a child actor, I think I'd be dead by now. Um, why I, why not, do you say that? I, 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 I just think that, like, when you look at all the, you know, the pressure that is put on these kids, you know, uh, like, you know, these stage mamas, like, trying to drag their... their, their, their oh, music just went on. Don't worry. Cutting me off from my anti-kids acting monologue. Um, no, no, I'm not cutting you off for some reason. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I thought maybe say some people <laughs> higher power. I, I know, I know you wouldn't cut me off, obviously. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, no, I just think that, like, you know, it's too much pressure on a young kid. But then again, I'm sure there are some examples of kid actors who grew up to be normal human beings. But uh, I think it's good to have some kind of life experience, at least before you enter the world of the arts. Um, not to right. say that I had a lot. I mean, I, I, I was still quite young, late teens, early 20s, and I began life as an actor. Um, and I also did a lot of street performing in my hometown. I did this very unique thing where I would um, perform uh, song lyrics in a Shakespearean accent. So the audience would be, the people, passers-by would be like, wow, what the hell is he actually doing? Like, why is he... Uh, you know, I wonder what song that is. I don't recognize that song. He's changed the melody so much. So, for example, like I would perform Britney Spears' uh, lyrics, you know, in a Shakespearean accent, which was totally ridiculous and funny, but I actually made quite a bit of money doing this. You know, it would be like, hit me, baby, one more time. You know, very serious, making Britney Spears a lot more profound than she arguably is. Um, Right. So then... um, I did a bit of, you know, the local plays in Cork, and I wrote my first play at age 24. Even though I was only 24, it was an autobiographical play, and I love the title, if I may say so myself, and I hope your uh, listeners will love the title too. The title of the play was... Is that the uh, self-obsessed tragedy of Ed Malone? There you go, Rob. That's the one. The self-obsessed tragedy of Ed Malone. Correct. An absolutely uh, ridiculous masterpiece, which basically told the story of all my failed romantic endeavors, uh, my bizarre relationship with my parents and my sister. Um, And, you know, it was very cheeky of me because um, in the production, I used all real names. So a lot of the people who saw the show 
actually recognise the characters as real people. And thankfully, okay. Rob, thankfully I wasn't sued by anyone, um, which was lucky of me because there were some people that I was quite I was quite nasty to, if I'm honest with you, in a fun way. Um, but I was also quite nasty to myself. It was a very self-deprecating play, kind of mocking my uh, my overly romantic nature. Um, could you, could you give us some, tip, some tidbits from the play, some of the things you covered? Sure. Well, there, there was a girl that I was obsessed with. Um, her name was Kate. So I wrote a poem about her that goes like this. Kate, Kate, I'm shaking like a place. Kate, Kate, I want you to be my soul mate. There you go. And I wonder why I haven't won her heart. You know, that, there's a little snippet from that. Um, not exactly the most profound poetry, but it, it was very amusing to audiences to see how serious I took this little obsession. Um, but anyway, that play actually became quite a smash hit in my hometown. And indeed, it was performed in a few venues throughout Ireland. Um, it went down really well. People seemed to find it very amusing. Um, so after that, uh, after people saw that show, there was one guy who saw it who happens to um, be a clown. Uh, and when I say clown, I mean theater clown, like a very physical comic actor. And he approached me after the show and he said, Hey, Ed, I think you've got a great physicality. Um, have you had any kind of physical training as a performer? And I said, to be honest, no, I haven't. Um, and he told me that he once attended a school in Paris called Lecoq, the Jacques Lecoq Theatre School, which is a very famous theatre school in Europe, the most famous theatre school in Europe for, for physical theatre, for physical clowning. Um, so that really sowed a, a seed in my head. And uh, I did some research into the school, and about a year later, I said, what the hell? I decided to take a risk and said, you know, why not get some physical clown training? So I left Ireland and I moved to Paris um, to study as a clown. So I, I went to Jacques Lecoq School for one year. And after that year, um, I decided I wanted some more training. So I heard about another clown who was living in Paris, whose name was Philippe Gaulier. Now, Philippe Gaulier is a really famous French clown. Um, he's like the Buddha of clowning. Um, he's just an absolute genius. Uh, and he'll be well known to your um, listeners as the man who trained Sasha Barracone, a.k.a. Boras and Bruno and all those crazy characters. No kidding. Company. No kidding. Right. So, so he was behind so, uh, success. Right. Yeah, he's a huge success. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, so this, this man was an absolute genius, but he was very tough. He really pushed you to your limits. Um, and he once, I'll just give you, your viewers a, a quirk, and yourself a quirky little story, a funny little thing that he once said to me. There was one day in class where he thought that I was so bad that he said to me, you know something, Ed? You move like a dyslexic. I, I, and I was like, wow, I've never been told like I, I, that I move like a dyslexic before. But uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for a clown, but um, it, it was an interesting comment, so I tried to process that and become a more grateful mover. Um, I don't know if that actually happened or not. Well, you could probably tell your uh, listeners if I have become more grateful because you've seen me move in Kundalini yoga classes, Rob. So, uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if... I... 
Honestly, uh, as much as uh, I I would love to give the listeners my evaluation of that, for the most part, in Kundalini Yoga, my eyes are closed and I'm not looking around at anybody. Great. That's professionalism. That's great. Awesome. So anyway, um, when I finished up in school in Paris, after living, you know, the high life in Paris, you know, a beautiful romantic city, I, with all due respect to my hometown court, I love it. Um, there's not much of a big theatre scene happening there. So I had a decision to make whether I wanted to go back to Ireland or whether I wanted to stay in Paris or find, uh, you know, another city to live in. And, like, the one thing I would have to say about America, I don't know if you Americans are, are aware of this, but American culture, like, is just all over the world. Like, when you grew up as a kid in Ireland, you're constantly bombarded by the Hollywood movies and the, you know... The American culture, like the TV programs, the pop music, blah, 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 blah. So that definitely instilled a, a very romantic idea in my head about New York, for example. And, you know, I watched some Woody Allen films when I was younger, you know, Manhattan. So, you know, right. these kind of classic. ideas kind of... Well, classic, yeah, absolutely. It's a great film. So, you know, and, you know, even when I was younger, like Home Alone or whatever... That's dodgy, nice little film with Macaulay Culkin. Um, you know, so I, I can, and of course the Martin Scorsese films as well, like on a more gritty point of view, like Taxi Driver and all that. Um, so you know, you have a romantic idea of New York City, and that was always in my head. So after Paris, I decided, what the hell? I'll just dive in and I'll move to New York City. So I moved here about four and a half years ago. Um, and let me ask you something, as somebody who. Uh, was very influenced by the American culture. And by the way, I'm certainly aware as to the effect of uh, American culture in the rest of the world, including the, the cinema. Uh, I know that I've, I, I've often spoken to a lot of people about New York City when I'm out of New York City, and they have this romanticized notion and sometimes a very violent notion about what the city is about without yeah. having been there based on the yeah. cinema. Because... Uh, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's not just the beauty of Woody Allen, but like you said, it's some of the grittier aspects of Scorsese also. Uh, so I'd be curious to know what you found when you moved here. How did it stand up to the images uh, from the cinema that you grew up with? Well, I have to say, quite frankly, and I've said this um, a few times to uh, Irish friends of mine whenever I've gone back to Ireland, I actually... To be honest with you, and maybe this is just because of the neighborhood I'm living in, in Sunnyside, Queens, but I actually feel a lot safer in New York than I do in Ireland, um, which is an incredible thing to say in a way. Um, I feel like you can walk down the street, most streets at any time of the night and be okay. I mean, so to answer the question, I do feel at times like uh, I am in a movie, though, because I do find that you know, when you hear the taxi drivers shouting their heads off and, you know, you, you feel the hustle and bustle of the city, that is quite cinematic. But generally speaking, I haven't encountered any violence. I mean, obviously, um, not to veer the conversation off into politics or whatever, but I, the, so, the, the economic divide is kind of sad. I mean, there are, you know, obviously Manhattan is very la da for the most part, and there's you know, a, a sad contradiction in the boroughs in certain areas of Brooklyn and the Bronx and Queens, etc., where, you know, it's sad that a lot of people are living in such poor environments. 
in my opinion. But um, well, but uh, I, I can know. tell you that uh, those boroughs have seen a marked improvement in so many ways over the last five to ten years too. So some of those boroughs. Yeah, some of yeah. some of the parts of Queens and Brooklyn have become pretty fancy as well, you know, not that's just Manhattan. Um, I agree, and, and that that actually um, that's a very good point in relation to where I'm living. I'm living in Sunnyside, Queens, and uh, mm-hmm. even in the last four and a half years, I've noticed how chic it's become, you know, uh, and the prices have gone up and all that stuff. Um, and I, I've heard the older people tell me uh, how much it's changed in the last five to ten years. Um, right. But yeah, yeah. I mean, but but to answer your initial question, like you know, I mean, I certainly haven't encountered any kind of uh, uncomfortable situation. I find generally New Yorkers to be, you know, pretty cool, friendly people, and it has lived up to the hype um, in my mind most of the time. Uh, Interesting. I think there are are times there are times when you think that you're going to go crazy. If I'm honest, as well, though. I mean. You know, there are times when the intensity of the energy of the city, you know, you really do need to take breaks, in my opinion, from the city, because it can get pretty intense. Um, and you kind of wonder, are you going to turn into Travis Pickle from Taxi Driver? Um, but hopefully right. that will never happen to me. <laughs> um, but I no, uh, yes, I think all the listeners do too. Um, because well, I can you know, be crazy. Uh, that's, I think that's something that anyone who lives in New York City thinks about from time to time. And there's yeah. no question that the energy of the city is a very particular energy, and it affects people in different ways. And it's uh, I certainly embrace the notion of getting out from time to time to cut it with something a little bit different. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious. You've lived in New York for four and a half years, and I know from some of your more recent plays that New York has definitely seeped into your writing. How do you feel about that? And what part does New York City play in your uh, in, in your um, artistic evolution? That's, that's a great question. I, it's been amazing for me. Um, I was going to get to that, but I'm glad you asked that question because, you know, after I wrote my first play in Cork at the age of 24, I'm 31 now. Um, after that play initially in Ireland, I didn't write anything at all afterwards for a few years. I didn't write anything in Paris. And like when I moved to New York four and a half years ago, um, since that time I've written six new plays, which which is an indication of how much New York City has helped me creatively and to to answer the question specifically, New York does feature quite heavily in all these new plays that I've written. Um, I wrote a play called The Three Irish Widows Versus the Rest of the World, um, which is a, a, a hilarious, beautiful, funny, touching play, if I may say so myself, not so humbly. Um, it's about <laughs> these, three, these three middle-aged Irish women who uh, who lose their husbands in different ways. Uh, a couple of cancer and one in a car crash, tragically. But uh, in the play, unfortunately, before the, these guys died, they were very uh, repressive towards their their, their, their wives. Um, so unfortunately, the wives, you know, never really saw much of the world. But after the husbands die, you know, they shed all their Catholicism and they free themselves sexually and in every way. They discover the world. They meet lots of handsome young men. They go on uh, vacations to Spain and 
they end up in America anyway, to answer your question. So they end up visiting a character that's loosely based on me. Uh, uh, and my character is, is, is uh, the son of one of the women. So they end up on a mad trip around New York where one of the characters has sex with a New York taxi driver, speaking of taxi drivers, uh, a Bobby Kay from Brooklyn. It's a very funny scene in the play. Um, and, and I feel that, like, even though obviously I'm not uh, American, I feel that I have picked up a lot of the, the isms in New York. So I think that I can, you know, do a, quite a, a, a reasonable job at creating American characters that are somewhat believable. Um, I know. I think I so think like, you do also. And and if for our listeners' sake, what are some of those isms that you're talking about? What are some characters? Some what you find to be particular New York or American characteristics that you've observed here that you've used in your play? If you could elaborate on that. Sure. 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 Great question. Well, um, there's an expression that just cracks me up for some reason when I hear people uh, in America use this expression. I just pee my pants, and the expression is this. Here's the thing. Like, here's the thing. I mean, what are you talking about? When I first heard, when I first heard that, I'm like, what is this thing? What is this thing that they're talking about? We don't say that in Ireland. And uh, the other one, of course, is here's the deal. And that, again, makes me wonder, what deal? What are you, so, you know, it took me a few uh, interactions to realize that, uh, oh, this means, say something profound when he says here's the thing. There's usually a slight pause after that and then they give it to you straight. They tell you right. what the thing is. Um, right. Really profound stuff, you know. Um, those little isms just crack me up. Also, uh, I took a, 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 an acting class when I first moved here because I was still kind of performing, which I might get back into. Um, and I heard a great expression from the acting teacher. He looked at us and said, it's not about you. It's all about the other guy. So it's all about the other guy. The scene is all about the other guy, which I kind of think is quite cool, you know? Like, don't what make exactly it all about... does that... What exactly I think does that, that mean? In, a, in an acting context, that means if you're working on a scene with a scene partner, um, you know, focus your attention completely on your partner and try not to be so um, self-absorbed, basically, uh, which, you know, is a trap that I think a lot of performers, and I, I would include myself in the past, have fallen into, you know, of like, you know, oh, I'm on stage with this man or woman, and I'm like, you know, hogging the limelight, so to speak. Um, right. I think it's important to kind of, uh, you know, give as much energy as you, you receive, you know. Um, right. Which, which is a big, big, big thing. Um, but anyway, uh, on the plays, just to, to continue, as I, as I think you're fully aware of, um, this September slash October, one of the exact dates that, yes, a new play of mine will be produced in New York City. And this play is called The Lion Tamer. And this play is a beautiful fantasy about a little Irish girl from rural Ireland who moves to New York City and becomes the youngest lion tamer in the history of the world, the youngest lion tamer the world has ever seen. And then... Well, that's that's quite a uh, that's quite a concept to wrap your mind around, and uh, I like 
I like the fact that you're equating her move to do, to America with achieving such great results. And, of course, traditionally, a lot of people emigrated to this country in the interest of bettering themselves. And this sort of ties in with that whole immigrant theme of achieving success and all kinds of fame by coming to the United States, doesn't it, Ed? Absolutely, Rob. That's correct. I mean, the American dream, you know, um, classic stuff, uh, you know, and, and of course, um, that can very often turn sour. It doesn't always come true for all of us. Um, and I don't want to give too much away whether Stephanie, the lead character, the little girl, wins or loses. I'll have to uh, let your viewers, or listeners rather, come see the play to find out for themselves. But um, she does encounter some difficulties along the way, but she's a fighter and various things happen. I mean, also the play is a kind of a meditation on, like I discussed at the start of this interview, people who are too young becoming successful too quick. She be, she's a very young girl and she becomes massively successful and how does she cope with that? You know, that's a big thing, you know, in the world today with all, you know, yourself with all these, in my opinion, terrible TV shows like Pop Idol and, you know, American Idol, all this stuff where people are obsessed with fame, you know, and this is what it's all about. And like Stephanie, the lead character in my play, didn't necessarily, I don't think, want that fame and adulation, but she just loved to play with lions, and she just loved the idea of being a lion tamer. Right. With that, with that fame, often comes other things that are out of her control, and. Uh, I think the play is also a comment on that and how the pressures of, you know, becoming famous can really have an adverse effect as well as a positive effect, you know. Um, Do you think that Americans are too obsessed with fame and success? I, You know, I think it's a mixed bag, you know. Um, I think in the mainstream, quote, mainstream world, uh, yes, I would say yes, Um you know, it, we're being bombarded on, on TV programs by, um, you know, very simplistic ideas of, of uh, you know, what's good and what, you know, what's considered acceptable. I guess what I'm trying to insinuate here is that, like, um, the art that I'm attracted to certainly wouldn't be the art that uh, one sees on American Idol and, and on most of the TV shows like, Desperate Housewives and, uh, you know, some of the terrible Hollywood films. And and, I, and that's not to say that I'm, I'm a snob in an inverted way. I hope I'm not. I'm sure they do do some good work. But, like, I think that one shouldn't have to look very hard for great art. I know yourself that you've spoken to me in the past that you're a fan of, like, good independent films. Um, and so am I, you know. But in my opinion, one shouldn't have to look so hard for that it should be at our disposal if we want it to be great art like in my opinion it was in the 30s and 40s in Hollywood for example there were some great filmmakers that emigrated to America uh, uh, from Eastern Europe etc and made some great art that was accessible to everyone but, but, it, but it made you think and it really, it really provoked you um, but these days everything has just become so terrible in a kind of an MTV way. I, I think MTV has a lot of responsibility uh, for that, you know, this kind of 
cheap, terrible pop music and like in your face uh, TV programs that that you know don't ask you to think in any way, just kind of dumb, you know, try to lower the intellectual level of the masses. Well, I've gone on a bit of a rant there, Rob, but that's my opinion. Oh, no, that's okay. I, uh, I always uh, let my guests rant and rave if they want to, and I wouldn't call wonderful. it that anyway. I think you're just right. expressing what a lot of people feel today about uh, the popular culture. It's certainly a mixed bag. And if you turn on the television, and I'm pretty sure you don't have one, but if you did, you'd see a lot yeah. of garbage that passes as entertainment, really a lot of crap. And, right. Uh, I agree. It's the pop psychology culture. It's you know, um, yeah. I mean, well, we could go on and on all night about this, but but uh, but I mean, you know, I think that uh, I'm not. I'm certainly not a conspiracy theorist, Rob, as you know. Um, but I think also, to be honest with you, that has a definite uh, perspective as well amongst certain layers where people, you know, they don't want their their viewers to think about what's happening in the world. They don't want their viewers to think about their lives, so they, you know, they give them trash, you know, in my opinion. Um, right. So there you go. But, but thankfully, you and I avoid such things because we do kundalini yoga and we avoid terrible TV shows. High five. Well, hopefully, hopefully yeah. but, you know, we're just talking about broad cultural uh, dynamics going on here. And I think it's yeah. interesting to get your perspective as somebody who grew up in another country, which was Ireland. Yeah. Uh, I think our let, 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 me just, let me just clarify quickly, though, that let me just say, uh, excuse me for interrupting, but I just have to say that in Ireland, it's not any different. I mean, this is an international problem, you know what I mean? Uh, right. It's certainly not. I mean, America might be paving the way for it, but uh, Irish television is terrible, too. Um, and generally... Irish art is in a bit of a quandary, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 the same thing all over the world, you know. In my opinion. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Um, so tell us a little more about this character in the Lion Tamer. I mean, uh, how old is she actually when she first she is, comes she, to the West? When? So how old is she when she comes to America? Is that what you yeah. Mean? Oh well, she's actually just twelve years of age when she comes to America. And to tell you a little bit about uh, the character, I, I'd have to quote um, my publicist. When she first read the script, my publicist said, this character is like Shirley Temple on crack, which I thought was a hilarious, hilarious comment. And I completely agree with that because the character, if, if, if your viewers or your listeners rather and yourself could just picture I know you've read the play, so I'm sure you can picture a, a curly-haired little girl, a la, a la Shirley Temple, but she's a lot more, uh, how can I say, loose with her tongue. She has, of course, Shirley Temple's wit, but um, she's a bit more aggressive in, with the wit. Uh, you know, she's a, a precocious young girl in Ireland. She grows up very quickly. Um, you know, uh, She's she's very aggressive. She looks after herself. She's tough. She comes from a tough background. Her parents, her mother uh, is is a is a cynical woman who gave up her dreams of being an artist. So now she just lives in a fantasy land. Her father is a tough alcoholic. Um, so her environment isn't the nicest one in the world. But thankfully, with a bit of luck, she she gets out of that environment and ends up in America at age twelve, and then she gets discovered by the circus 
And uh, the play then encompasses the next nine years of her life from ages 12 to 21. Um, and, uh, yeah, then it reaches a, 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 a quite a profound conclusion, which I know you and I have had uh, discussions about. Well, we better not discuss that with the, the listeners because uh, we don't want to give away the ending as a possible ending. But, um, yeah, I mean, she's a tough little broad. Let me say that. She's full of humor and wit. But deep down, she's a very romantic girl, too, like most Irish people. She just wants to fall in love and uh, find happiness. And there are moments throughout the play when that looks like it's going to happen. Um, but then certain things turn a certain way. Oh, I better not say too much because uh, I feel like I'm leaning.